welcome to this week's edition of Talk on Tech. I am Patrick Smith, and with me today is Scott Nicholas. How's it going, Scott? Pretty good. I think we should rename this Talk on Tech with uh, Scott and Patrick. <laughs> or we, we could do Talk on Tech with Leo and Patrick, and I could still take the place of Patrick Norton, and you could be Leo Laporte. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll go for that. I'm a big <laughs> Leo fan. Yeah, so today, we're not necessarily doing an interview with Scott, but last week was the 20th anniversary of Windows 95, and so today we thought we would go ahead and do a podcast about Windows 95 and when it came out, because we were both around when it came out, and I even stood in line for it. But before we do that, we just finished our second week at MCTC, and so kind of wanted to give you all an idea what's going on with us, where we're at. Scott, what are you, what are you teaching this semester? Well, uh, we've talked about it a little bit before, and the program that I'm working with now, we call it um, Fast Track. And so we're now doing the CCNA uh, classes. We're doing all four of the CCNA classes in the fall semester. Mm-hmm. And so I think like you, we're getting ready to have our midterm. <laughs> yeah, because I'm, I'm currently, fall for me is always the start of my Microsoft classes. So I'm always teaching the first four Microsofts. You, you were, yours are four-hour classes, though, correct? Yes. Yeah, so mine are three-hour classes, but still, uh, day-wise, our pace is the same because we're getting ready to take our midterm on our first class on Tuesday. Yep, we are, too. Yep. So, um, it, it, it goes fast. Already about to start week three, and we're giving students midterms, but yeah. when we have to, when you have four classes... You should be on par finishing a class, if possible, around four weeks. Yeah. And so, usually, certain classes can last longer than others, depending on the content. Usually, in my first class, we start a little slow to break them in and then slowly ramp up. So right, right. I, I figure it's probably going to take like five, maybe six weeks for this first one, and then we'll start really rolling downhill. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll definitely be done um, in, in four weeks. We just have to do it that way because... Uh, in the, in the Cisco classes, we don't really have much room to um, play around. The, the very last class is the, is the one where we have a little bit of time. Um, it's like nine chapters instead of 11 or whatever that we have in the first right. three. So, Well, yeah. I just know, I, I think we talked about previously, when Cisco changed the CCNA curriculum, it seemed like they pulled so much stuff down from what used to be your third and fourth class and jammed it into your first two classes. Yeah, well, I mean, basically what they did, they took all kinds of material out of what is CCNP and and pushed it down onto CCNA, which really increases the value of the CCNA certification. It mm-hmm. really does, but it makes it really tough. That's the value of it, too, but um, you don't get a lot of pe- paper-certified people anymore, which is what we used to run into with a lot of certifications. So Right. So, yeah, we're both getting ready to do midterms in the third week of school, so... Fun times for us, but yeah, like I say, last week was the 20th anniversary of Windows 95, and I know you've mentioned Windows 95 previously. I think even on a previous podcast, you mentioned some uh, original distaste for it, so I know you were doing computer consulting when that when that dropped, when that came out. Well, actually... Um I was working as a regular employee at, at the computer store. I, oh, okay. I didn't really do the consulting until after, well, I did some before I worked there, but um, I didn't really do the consulting until after I came to Marshall, actually, because I had oh, customers okay. that called me up and wanted me to continue to support their networks and so forth. But no, it, it seemed like I had the role of a consultant in a way, I think, for you at the computer store because um, of the way they paid, which, you know, 
I, I was a full-time employee with uh, benefits and all that kind of stuff, but I got paid um, half of my billable time, and I, I didn't get paid till the store got paid. So that is almost like a, a consultant, but... No, yeah. I, when '95 came out, yeah, it was such a big thing um, that they had the big, huge rollout. They they had start me up from the stones, you know, and and which, Jay Leno came and did the, the the big thing, you know. Which we just saw here. Apparently, they paid anywhere from eight to fourteen million dollars to use that song because Rolling Stones songs are not cheap to use in your commercials. Oh, oh my gosh! I mean, well, and, and you think about back then, I would say. I would kind of liken Microsoft back then with the with their cash reserves probably to like Apple today, mm-hmm. with, with all that money you know stored up, and so they made such a big deal out of it. But I remember thinking at the time uh, on Windows three one or Windows three one one, which is you know what was used with networking, and I was a at that time I was a Novell CNE, and so mm-hmm. um, I, I was looking at that, and I I was thinking what do what do I need a start button for? I mean, it made no sense to me at all because um, on Windows 3.1 or 3.1.1 at the time, everything was in Program Manager, which was your desktop. And everything was there. You could see it. And um, I mean, everything was done with INI files, you know. And Mm -hmm. so there was no registry. And so, I mean, man, I could make Windows 3.1 do anything I wanted it to do. I could make it jump through hoops through those INI files. And I thought what do I need a start button for and and what the heck is a registry you know and so I was I was not a big fan of this new interface that was coming out so well people probably don't even know what Windows 3.1 or 3.1.1 looked like like. yeah and so basically it was it was a white background and you had all these um, icons at the bottom I might equate it to the fact that now inside of Windows if you put a folder on your desktop there were icons that were like the size of, of a folder icon on your desktop. Right. And when you double-clicked it, it would expand to show you what was in there. So, yeah, at the time, people didn't know what the start menu was for, but everything that got buried in the start menu that you could just mouse over and it would it, it would expand and show you what was there, there was a, a window for that or a folder for that you had to open. Like, right. to get to control panel, you had to open the control panel window and then see the different things. Or to get to the program manager, like you said, you had to open that. Well, no. Actually, program manager was your desktop. That, that's what it was called, program manager. Um, the, you I'm know. just trying to think of. Well, I mean, there's a there was a. I mean, prog was Progman, I think, was what the right, exe right. was. But, but there was actually a folder in there. Maybe it's called file manager. I don't know. There was there's different folders. I couldn't remember the name of the folders. Yeah. What if you've had a, if you've had a user that um, wanted shortcuts to everything on their desktop? Mm-hmm. That that's kind of what Windows three one looked like. I mean, uh, for the, for the people that don't want to, you know navigate from the start button they want to be able to just double click on something and get there with a shortcut mm-hmm. that's how windows 3.1 looked like all the time you know and so it just seemed like too many steps i mean why do that because everything that you wanted was right there out in front of you it was was my thinking at the time right so you know well i know that we had talked previously you know off mic about space requirements i can remember my mom used to um when she was a teacher, she would bring home the computer from, from school during the summer because they would want the teachers to bring them home more for security purposes in case oh, someone yeah. broke in the school. And so the machine I remember her always bringing home was an IBM that was just wide enough to have two three-and-a-half floppy drives in the front. There was no hard drive. And yeah. so we always had... I remember distinctly it being a DOS 3.3 disc back then. Yeah, that sounds like a PS2 that you're talking about. Okay. Um, 
especially with the three and a half inch drives yeah and Um, so you had a single floppy that was your dos boot disc and uh i mean you didn't get anything graphical when you booted up into that nope but i remember i remember years later when we finally bought our first computer it was a 286 and we had a whopping 20 meg hard drive yeah so i had a 20 meg hard drive too the very first computer i built so everybody just think out there for a second i'm talking about 20 megabytes yeah 20 megabytes i'm not talking about 20 gigs i'm not talking about 20 terabytes right 20 megs i now take digital camera pictures yes that that are larger than that the single image is larger than that amount of space yep and on that hard drive we got a we got a version of windows and that was that gave us a graphical version of dos to be able to use yes and so I was thinking, you know, the last version of Windows before 95 was Windows for Workgroups 311. Yeah. And I always thought I remembered it being like 8 to 11 disks. Anywhere in that middle, a floppy disk is only a meg and a half, roughly. And so with 11 disks, you're talking about about 26 megs. 26 megs for an installation. And when Windows 95 came out, they did make a CD version. And they right. made a floppy disk version. And we had talked, like, they had special format of floppies. I think you said there was, like, 26 of them you Yeah, thought. I remember that vividly because, just to give you an idea, you know, the big game back then at the time was Doom, mm-hmm. right? And and um, because it was networked, you could actually play it across the network. Oh, yeah. And, um, and so we, you know, I, I would kid around and say, our wives never had to know where we were after work because we were always there playing Doom after work. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, and and we were running Novell Network there, and and then and we were on DOS, you know, with Windows three one one on there. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, you had to have DOS installed first, and then Windows over top of that. That's right? true because yes. it was it was basically a shell that that you know ran on top of of uh, DOS. But I remember we we played Doom all the time, and so I went ahead and I, I we were saying this Windows ninety five thing is out. We're going to need to support this, so you know we should be running this, mm-hmm. and so. I put I put on the twenty six disc because at that time there was not a, a CD out yet that, okay. that had it, and so you know this big pack of discs, and so I went through that whole thing. You imagine that took a while, and so I uh, got it installed and everything, and then unfortunately, and you know there it was, and it was running and all that, but Doom would not run. We could not play Doom, and so I mean that that was a huge issue for us, and so um, and we used to kid around and say that you know you could really test your network with Doom, and you really could because you know there's a lot of network traffic there, and you could see you know if if it was running well or not, and um, I demonstrated it for a customer one time up in uh, Charleston, and they were a big architectural firm, and I showed it to them, and the, the owners of the company fell in love with that, and and they. They went ahead and they bought Doom, and then they mm-hmm. bought all these other um, add-ons and stuff, and they would play that at, over lunch break. The whole company would be sitting there in their cubes playing Doom, hunting each other down across the network. You and know, then was, for some great. reason, for the next year, they only got half of the uh, architectural jobs. For some reason, <laughs> they were too busy playing Doom. I thought it was great, though, that they had the blessing of the, the partners that owned the company because they were playing, too. You know, How often mm-hmm. do you get to you know go into a game and, and hunt down you know your boss or whatever, but... That sounds terrible now, I know, but so we found that Doom would not run on Windows 95 the, you know, right. when it first came out. That was, it was a big issue, and so we said, okay, forget this, and and 
Windows 95 had a great uninstall feature. It, mm-hmm. You can uninstall it, it take you right back to Windows 3.1 or 3.1.1 that you had. And what it reminds me of now is the uninstall that you have with Windows 10 that you get for that first 30 days. To roll um, back? Yeah, you can roll back to what you had and um, and it take you right back to um, Windows 7 if you're lucky and Windows 8 if you're unlucky. And so, um, and so, keep in mind you only have thirty days for that, though. Um, right. And then the, the original files for your operating system get deleted now with Windows Ten. So, but I, I went through that. I'm wanting I, I easily five or six times. I went ahead and I said, no, I have to do Windows ninety five. I have to support it. So I went ahead and installed it back again. And we were trying everything, mm-hmm. and um, to to get uh, Doom to work. And I mean, it sounds silly now, but. It, it was a networking issue, and so you know we really were working trying to to figure out what was going on. You know, with the the we were running Novell, so we were running IPX SPX right. for the protocol stack, and we were trying to figure out. You know, actually, on Windows you had NW Link mm-hmm. um, because. IPX, SPX, and you know, for those of you out there who don't know what we're talking about, you probably don't care, but. Um, IPX SPX was the networking protocol like TCP IP, but Novell invented it, and so it was proprietary. And um, Microsoft said, you know, there's no way that we're going to pay Novell, you know, the big rivalry there. No way we're going to pay for that. And so they invented their own IPX SPX compatible protocol that they called NW Link. And then they then they came out and said, ours works even better than Novell's. But... Um, well, when you take the second bite of the apple, yeah, you usually do a better job sometimes than the first person. So whether that's true or not. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's, it, you know, I think it, it was a marketing thing, but mm-hmm. uh, but still. So we were trying to work with that and figure out, really, you know, we were networking people, too, and uh, trying to figure out what could be the problem in that and, and get that to work. So it went back and forth, back and forth. And then finally, the the, ne- the OS are two or whatever, um, the, the, the first service pack release, basically, mm-hmm. of 95 when it came out. Corrected, corrected that issue, and so then we were able to stick with ninety five and keep running from there. So, well, I remember. I don't remember specifically playing Doom, um, but also at the house, I, I didn't have the Novell client on top of my operating system to deal with. Right, but I, I do remember that for people today who are accustomed to going to their start menu and saying they want to shut down, and they have the option oh, yes. to shut down and restart. One of your options was to shut down into MS-DOS and it would right. drop you to a command prompt. I had several games like um, X-Wing and TIE Fighter, a lot of the yes, LucasArts games. Those. You had to go back to DOS because Windows 95 and later on 98 and, and so forth, they would start to create a bit of a wall between the games and the hardware of your machine. Because right. so many times, if an actual game decided to crash your graphics card or crash your sound card your machine was host and so uh right and that's actually um when the difference at the time between um 95 and uh at windows nt because mm-hmm. um windows nt they decided that they were going to be uh they were looking for more stability and that's when they came out with what they called the HAL. you know you remember oh, like the, the hardware abstraction yeah the layer. hardware abstraction layer and all these games were um that was the thing. They wrote directly to the hardware, especially of the graphics card. And um, that, you know, was a way to quickly end up with a blue screen of death on uh, on Windows. And I, in fact, I remember Bill Gates was demonstrating, demoing Windows 95 on the big rollout, right? Mm-hmm. Big, huge jumbotron screen. And then all of a sudden, blink, the blue screen of death. 
And um, I think that even happened in the 98 rollout. They were installing a printer. Maybe, maybe that's what it was. I can't okay. remember. I just remember Bill Gates up there on stage with big screen back behind mm-hmm. him. And then all of a sudden, the blue screen of death, guy comes running out, you know, one of the engineers for the, for the operating system. And I thought, okay, that guy's fired. <laughs> well, I and, mean, it's definitely on YouTube. I oh, yeah. I, I yeah, sure. You can, you can look that up. Oh, yeah. and, and I mean, you know, you talk about thinking, oh, my gosh, there goes my job out the window. <laughs> Well, I know that, I mean, I was able to play my games, and even if you played them, we're accustomed to having nice icons, nice shortcuts for the for most of your games oh, yeah. these days. Back then, all you saw was letters that said MS and then DOS on the bottom. You didn't have oh, yeah. nice icons for Duke Nukem or Doom or Wolfenstein. Or, or you would look for a, a graphic pack or an icon yeah. pack is what you would get. And, um, and they had all these cute little icons or whatever. But, yeah, the, the default one was just a, I don't know, it just looked like a folder and said, you know, MS. DOS or whatever. Well, I know it, it was. You mentioned earlier, like how cool it was that the uh, the architecture firm, you know, allowed allowed all their employees to have oh, yeah. it. It was suddenly nice that you could bond with your with your boss over that, you know, so that for a second while you're playing a game, it wasn't the superior subordinate. You were all in it together or you were all against one another. Right. It, it, what it reminds me of now is, you know, when they, uh, companies now will have this, uh, they'll have like a, a company retreat mm-hmm. and they'll go out and they'll play paintball, paintball or something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. So that, that's kind of the same idea, I guess, in, in a virtual thing, you know. Well, I know for me, I... My, my first official computer was a 486 DX2 66 megahertz. I remember I used to buy this magazine that n- none of the people who listen to this will probably remember, but I know you will. It was called PC Shopper. Oh, yes. And the, 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 for the people out there, PC Shopper was at least two and a half inches thick. Yeah, like a phone book. Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, we're talking like... Yeah, a what's new, a phone book? Well, a, a, <laughs> new, a New York City phone book, though, because... Yeah. Um, and the paper they used was as thin as that paper like they used for the for the Bibles or for the newspaper. Right. I mean, they, they were printing an encyclopedia each month. Yes. And you would buy this thing and you could comb through it to see all oh, these yeah, different retailers. And, and the pricing and, and all that kind of stuff. It feels, oh. feels like you were going through like a Sears or JCPenney like wish book you yeah. know, for, for Christmas. What's a wish book, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's, what's that all about? Because I used to go through and circle all the things oh, I yeah. wanted for Christmas. Yeah. Gosh, we feel old now, don't we? Yeah, but, but the, the PC shopper Quantex Computers was, oh, yes, a, Quantex. was a company, and that's who I decided to go with to buy my first machine. And so I did have Windows 3.1.1, so I already had that. And so I actually went and stood in line at a Walmart to buy Windows 95 on the release date, like like how today people go and stand in line at GameStop to buy Halo 5. Right. Because everyone, this is going to be life-changing. Huge. Yeah. yeah. So I went and I bought it and I bought the CD-ROM version. Yes. Because when I bought my Quantex, it didn't. And that's a CD, not a DVD, right? It's yeah. a CD. That's right. And my machine did not come with a CD-ROM by default. Oh, I had yeah. to buy. I had to buy an NEC 4X CD reader, and um, it was the only CD-ROM drive I had that you had a tray. So everyone these days, you know, everyone out there in the listening audience, you're accustomed to having a button on the side of your CD-ROM drive. You hit the button, and the actual tray comes out, and you place the disc kind of in the tray in the center. Yeah, or, you or mean the, your cup holder? I was going to say your coffee cup holder, exactly. And then you hit the button to close it. I didn't have that. 
I had this little flap on the front that would remind you of like houses that have the uh, the mail slot yes. in their front door. You would have to pull the flap down, and then I had this little carrier it's a little yeah rectangular carrier i would have to open up and put my disc in right and close it up and then you would slide that carrier into the drive i guess that's so the drive wouldn't go flying out or something yeah i don't know but i have a t-shirt for that any that nec 4x dv or mm-hmm. cd player I, I saw it not that long ago and it was like you know four times the speed of mm-hmm. everybody else 4x you know yes um and now if you buy a cd run if you saw cd run they're all 52x i think is the the speed that it ended up with but yeah right like i mentioned to you i have you know essentially a a history of it in t-shirts basically that i've gotten over the years but i do uh, i saw that nec t-shirt not that long ago and, and when you said i had an nec 4x and i thought oh well i got the t-shirt on that one well, so yeah I remember in our NT4 classes, you bringing up something, and I'm curious to know, because I know you you brought it up from your experience then, that was with NT4, I'm wondering if you had this problem at all with Windows 95, because you did mention earlier that you got to have DOS, so when, yes. when you went out and you bought Windows 95, I bought it on CD, they expected you, I guess technically mine was an upgrade, because right. they already expected you to have DOS. Right. Um, and so I came home and installed it. But you had mentioned in the NT4 class, because that was something that stuck with me, that Microsoft wanted to make sure they got their money. And, you know, that's it's not a bad thing, I guess. No offense to them. But there were other companies who'd come up with DOS. Like Norton came up with one called PC-DOS, I believe. And there yeah, were other there versions was, um, of Digital DOS. Digital Research, which was Dr. DOS, is what they, they thought they talked about, called it, or whatever at the time. You and had told us in class that when you went to install NT4... It did a file check on your hard drive. Like Microsoft had put a specific file where they'd named a file a specific thing. Yeah. And if it did not find a genuine copy of MS or Microsoft DOS, right. it wouldn't install it. Um, I, I don't remember that being a, a, a thing with um, NT4. Well, because NT4 really, it was looking to get away from DOS. That's true. Remember, but later on, Novell bought digital research DOS mm-hmm. and, and and so I think um, I just knew you'd brought it up and I'd never oh, oh, yeah, experienced yeah. that but I mean um, I, I'm trying to think that I think that finally Microsoft kind of backed off on that a little bit because that keep in mind they were also running through some um, other lawsuit issues at the time yes. with, with DOS because um, they had there was a company out at the time you talked about the 20 meg hard drive right 20 meg mm-hmm. and we were thinking oh my gosh you know you could never fill up 20 meg what am i going to do with that but uh, just like anything else these days you know you you run out of space and so there was a company called um stack electronics and they made um a, a program called stacker and what it did was it took your entire hard drive turned it into a file and then compressed the file and so it would um, basically gave you 40 meg of storage mm-hmm. on your 20 meg drive. And so. Um, and it did make it a little slower. It did, but man, you know, to think, oh, God, gosh, I got 40 meg now, you know. And so. Because um, hard drives weren't cheap. No, they were not. And they were big and clunky and they made a lot of noise. And So you would um, gladly sacrifice a couple more minutes of boot up time yeah. to get double your money. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, and so, and it wasn't that expensive either compared to buying a bigger drive or whatever. And so, mm-hmm. 
Microsoft looked at that and they they tried to buy Stacker or Stack Electronics, and Stack was was an independently held company, and so uh, they said no, we don't we don't want to sell out, we don't want to be you know part of Microsoft or whatever, and so apparently according to the lawsuit, Microsoft kind of just you know snatched up that that technology and and the software for that, and they put it into Windows six two six dot two, and um, I think they called it. Um, Double space. I remember the new one called Double Space. Yeah, and, and so they then that was a big thing. They said, "Hey, now with Windows six two, you know, you can double your hard drive." And um, you know, Stack turned around and said, "Well, wait a minute. You know, we believe you stole our technology or whatever." And so there was a big lawsuit, and you know, David beat Goliath, strangely enough. And so Microsoft was forced to take that out, and that's why they came out with um, DOS six point two one. Mm-hmm. Which which did not have any kind of um, drive compression in it, and then they turned around and they came out very shortly with DOS six point two two that had um, drive image or, or what was it? Du- I think it's called double sp- or drive space. Drive space. There you go. Mm-hmm. And so you know, and there were a lot of lawsuits going on at that same time, like with um, Intel and AMD. AMD started out as um, just a chip company, and they had uh, worked as a subcontractor for Intel. To, to make the 286 chips. Oh, really? 286, yeah. And so, they uh, you you were talking about your 486 DX266. Mm-hmm. Um, th- on the 286s, you know, they they started out with AMD, and then uh, they moved on to 80386s, and um, AMD was still making those. You know, there was such a, a demand for the, for the processors, and so... The fastest chip at the time that Intel was making was a um, a 386-33, DX33. And so AMD turned around and they made their own chip that was a DX40, 40 megahertz. And so um, just like Stack said, Intel said, well, wait a minute, you know, you stole our technology here. And so there was a, uh, there was a lawsuit on that and um, it turned out that uh, AMD went out on that particular deal, which is why they're still around. And um, it turns out that you can, if I understand this correctly, I'm not an attorney. My brother what is, but I am not. The blood-sucking lawyer. My brother, the blood-sucking lawyer. I say that all the time, you know, affectionately, of course. <laughs> but anyway, you can have 49% of somebody else's code. You know, essentially, you can snatch that. Mm-hmm. If you have 51% of your own code in something like that, then you're not infringing on the copyright, apparently, because uh, that's what happened. And the quote-unquote majority of the code has to be yours. Exactly. But, I mean, it seems like you shouldn't be able to steal anything from somebody else, but apparently it, it, you could. And so um, it was determined in that lawsuit that AMD had 51% of their own code in that um, 386DX40. And uh, and then that's how they ended up kind of breaking off from doing things for for Intel, and they started out with their own chips and everything. So I had a student one time say, "Does anybody in IT ever invent anything, or they just steal it from each other all over the place?" And it does kind of seem that way, but you know, somebody does have to invent that somewhere. And as you know, if you look back, a lot of this stuff came from Xerox. Yes. Yeah. And so anyway. Yeah, it does. Um, it's just it's nice to be nostalgic, but I mean I realize I talk about this in class and stuff a lot too. But I think people need to know mm-hmm. how did how did we get here because it used to be so much harder to do a lot of this stuff than it is now. I mean we really do have it have it easy compared to what it used to be like. Yeah. So I mean I I agree. I remember 
when I took your NT4 classes, at the house I was running 98 at the time. So I I knew all about plug and play. And plug as, and pray? I guess yeah. as you called it, plug and pray. Because it didn't, it didn't work perfectly when it first came out, no, that's for sure. But I quickly learned that in NT4, there was no such thing as that. Because as you mentioned earlier, with NT4, Microsoft said, this is not about... Well, it was about usability, but it wasn't about let's let anyone plug anything they want and we'll just install a driver and we'll hope the driver works because that could lead to instability. Yeah. So in NT4, they were like, you install it. We will give you the driver we know works, we know is tested. And if we don't have that driver, hmm, tough luck. You're not going to get to work. Yeah. I mean, people back then, like 95 at the time when 95 came out, mm-hmm. um, the version of NT that was out was NT351. Mm-hmm. And and that's where I started out. Um, and that and, looked and a lot like Windows for Workers, exactly right? It looked exactly like Windows 3.1 or Windows 3.1.1. And, um, and so I had gone like halfway through my MCSE, uh, which I, I didn't really want to do, um, uh, because I was already a CNE, and it took me like seven exams to get. You know, I thought, man, I, I don't really want to go through all this all over again for an MCSE. You know, but Compaq at that time was, you know, big in education, and they had come to us and they said we need somebody to support our education customers. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I got started on the whole MCSE track. And so I remember at the time, um, ninety five was out, and you know, was starting to be fairly stable, and so. They were talking about coming out with NT4, and um, at, initially they were saying, "Hey, it's going to be the same interface as 351. It's not going to be that 95 thing with the start button." And I thought, "Oh, thank God, you know, because uh, I still liked that that program manager interface." And so then, lo and behold, they did not do that. It came out with you know the start button, but at that time people didn't even really know much uh, if they knew at all that NT existed because that was Microsoft's business operating system. And so they were they they were all about stability with that, and so um, and the thing with the drivers was the drivers that were necessary for NT were not compatible with Windows ninety five or Windows ninety eight, mm-hmm. and so because it was the business operating system, there weren't nearly as many customers really at that time, and so they had a hard time. Microsoft did getting manufacturers to write drivers for NT four or whatever, and so. Um, that that kind of held things back for NT too because you know if if you wanted if you had some hardware but you didn't have a driver for it you you know you couldn't run the operating system so that's why they eventually went into that common driver model deal you know you know so. the interesting thing is I just looked up here to see when NT four came out and general availability a year to the day that ninety five was released August twenty fourth nineteen ninety six yeah so a year they had released the manufacturer or RTM RTM, that's right Um, but yeah ninety ninety six is when it came out and so the one of the things I want to talk about here was there was different versions I went to Walmart I bought a copy I bought a CD copy because I had a brand new CD ROM drive I mean I got to use something right when I when I got the CD ROM drive. I think it might have come with uh, Compton's Interactive Encyclopedia oh, at the yes. time. And, uh, then, and then later, I made sure to buy Inter- Encarta 95 and Encarta yes, 98 yes. because you could watch these little um, postage stamp size. Videos. Yeah. Like the Hindenburg disaster. I remember that one. Yeah. You know, or like you weren't buying an encyclopedia. JFK's inauguration was on there and, and yes. you know, like Martin Luther King. So, like, so suddenly you had, instead of having a whole bookshelf full of encyclopedias, you had some interactive video. Well, not right, interactive. It was interactive multimedia, mm-hmm. you know, thing with, with audio and video and all that kind of stuff. Yep. So 
I bought this. I brought it home. I was like, man, it's going to be great. And I take it out of the box and I install Windows 95. And it was on a CD. Luckily for you, because it was a much faster install. So It was a much faster install. But like you say, you had something like 26 discs. And even yeah. if they were special 2 meg discs at the time, that's only like, at most, 100 megs. Yeah. So my CD, which we all know now is 650 megs. Right. There was a lot of space, so much space indeed, that they put on my disc, though what I definitely remember, there was three music videos, but the music video I remember, they put on Weezer's Buddy Holly music video. Yes, and it made it look like it had been on um, Happy Days. Yes, that's how they did their music video. They, they made it look like, kind of like uh, Forrest Gump, they made their band look like it played at Owls, I Exactly, believe. yeah. And so, yeah. I guess Microsoft said, well, we're putting this on a CD. we got an awful lot of room left, a lot, lot, lot of space. Let's put that on there. Right. So, so the install of Windows 95 probably wasn't more than 100 megs, folks. Right. So you need to think about that because in my Microsoft classes right now, when I install Server 2012 or when I install Windows 8.1, my virtual machines are no less than 11 gigs. Yes. An 11 gig footprint Whereas Windows 95 20 years ago was maybe 200 megs. Right. That's that's gigantic because that's that's 11,000. Mm, yeah, 11,000 megs. Yes. And, and t- compared to 200 megs. Right. And I mean, you were talking about uh, the different you know computer manufacturers and stuff back then. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know this, but Hyundai made computers, and at the computer store, we were a Hyundai computer reseller. Oh, yeah, and of course, at that time, people they didn't know how to pronounce it, so it was everybody would say like Hyundai and stuff like that. But um, there for a while, the the you know standard. Um, configuration for a machine and this was strange because it, it was good for maybe about two years and um it was uh i remember 120 meg hard drive and 16 meg of ram mm-hmm. megabytes of ram not gigabytes and um uh, uh, megabytes of ram cost 50 bucks a meg that's you were, like uh, 80 bucks, I think, for 16 800 bucks oh yes yeah. yes i forgot a zero yeah think about that you know so <laughs> 120 meg drive and 16 meg of ram 800 bucks in ram only Mm -hmm. and so um and like i say that that was those were 486s dx66s so for about two years that was like a standard desktop yeah 120 meg hard drive and 16 meg of ram and so you know you're figuring about two grand for for a a business type machine and that's uh, something i've talked about before too is um it doesn't really matter it seems like you know what year it is but if you want you know a fairly high-end machine or something like that it's around two thousand bucks mm-hmm. whether you know it was back in 1996 is two thousand dollars or if it's nowadays in two thousand dollars it's about you know the same amount of money you know to to get current technology or high-end technology i guess if you want sure. to think about it that way you well, can spend more than that of course but well, I, I can remember paying 400 bucks at one point, because that was a lot when I was just working at a gas station, to get a 250 meg hard drive. Yes. That was an additional hard drive to put in my computer. Years later, when I was graduating high school in like 98, the zip drives were all oh, the yes. rage. A zip, zip drive. A zip drive looked like a, a very thick floppy disk that held for you 100 megs. Yes. So once um, again- Iomega made those. Yeah, Iomega. And so if you think about it, 100 megs these days is laughable. I mean, yes. I have I have sixteen gig, sixteen thousand meg USB drives that I can buy now uh, for 
12 15 bucks oh yeah and i was spending probably 20 dollars per disc for a 100 meg iomega uh special disc yeah um I, I've, I know I've told you the story because, you know, you went through my classes and you suffered through my stories just like everybody else. But my first USB drive that I actually had for myself, you know, a thumb drive mm-hmm. that I bought for me was um, 256 meg, 256 meg, and it cost me 75 bucks. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, 256 meg, that's like 200 floppies I could get on this thing or whatever. And I mean, you know, you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even stop to pick up, you know, a four gig drive probably these days. Mm-hmm. If you saw it laying on the ground, you'd be like, oh, that's just four gig. <laughs> Kick it away. But um, 256 meg drive for 75 bucks. And I, I still have, have that thing. I still have it somewhere. Yep. I, um, I, I have one in my cabinet in 202. It's a PNY 128 meg. And I paid about 100 bucks for it at Walmart. A, a PNY attache. Attache, yes. Yes. Because you and could, they were, they were color coded. That's could, what mine yeah. was too. You could see right through it and then uh-huh. it had like an outer silver. Um, yes. And mine yes. was red because the 256 meg was red. I think mine's purple. Yeah. And so, oh gosh. Yeah. I still have. I, and in fact, I looked back on that not too long ago to see what I had on it, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, it's kind of like the, uh, the lunchbox computer I brought in and showed to you guys that I, mm-hmm. um, you know, it is a compact uh, machine that I had gotten along the way, and I call it a lunchbox. It was a luggable, they would call it too. You know, it was portable in a, a very general sense, but it weighs a ton. Uh, but I brought it into class to show everybody, and they were just stunned, you know, that uh, at, at the fact that it ran, first of all, it was running 95, remember? And um, it still is. And, um, and so, and if you remember the splash screen there when it booted up was from the X-Files and it said, trust no one or whatever. I think we determined that, that we looked to see how much that had, had cost the time. Yes. And it was, it was rather ungodly. I mean, it was like a good four, no, maybe $6,500 or something, I think is what you came up with when you looked it up. Certainly, I didn't pay that for it. Um, I ended up getting it from a customer that uh, had used it to download data off of uh, like surveying equipment mm-hmm. and uh, the the serial point went bad on it and that's actually what they were using to you know interface with the devices and so it was just sitting there and I was traveling a lot at the time and I didn't, nobody had a laptop um, they didn't really have a laptop yet I asked them you know what they were doing with that and they said nothing it you know doesn't really help us anymore and I said well I'll trade you a desktop if you want, you know, the, the, the serial port. It's got multiple serial ports on it. And they said, oh, that'd be great. And so I, I had a machine that, you know, didn't cost me that much at all. And I swapped it out. And so I carried that thing around, I don't know, everywhere for a couple of years. And um, because I was on the road a lot and I would be in hotels a lot. And it had a couple of full-size expansion slots in it. And you could put, you know, your own card and stuff in there. And I remember at that time. Were those ESAs? Yes, E I S A. Yes, ESA, um, which was instead of having to do jumpers and um, dip switches and things to configure the card, you could do it in software. You know, and so you're thinking, what is a dip switch? You know, that thing. Um, it was a 486 DX266, and Pentium chips had come out at, at late, a little bit later on, and there was a company called Evergreen Technologies, and they made a uh, a chip that you could put in. And the slot, you know, the, the, the package, a, a pin grid array thing of a 486 and turn it into a Pentium. 
And so I did that. And so now, you know, it, it's a Pentium one, if you want to think of it that way. But yeah, that's a lot of hacking with um, hardware and stuff like that back then. It was a lot of fun, but it could be really aggravating too. But yeah, that thing, you know, people are thinking, well, you know, who's compact and, and what the heck are they? You know, they were the first ones that came up with a, um, an, an actually IBM compatible machine. Mm-hmm. They uh, reverse engineered the BIOS from um, IBM because that's what that was the only thing that was really uh, proprietary on the first PCs was was that BIOS. So yeah, I, I will throw out there for anybody who hasn't seen it that I'm pretty sure whether it's legal or not, I'm pretty sure on YouTube you can you can YouTube Triumph of the Nerds yes. and there's an amazing three part one hour each series on. Uh, the creation of the the desktops of how Microsoft got DOS, how they got 95, how Compaq reverse engineered the IBM ROM chip. How, how Apple got the GUI interface and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, yeah. Bob Cringley is the guy that did that. Yeah. Yeah. And he, it's he, really good. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. You know, we show it to our classes. In the fast track thing, we don't really have time for that. But And I, I, hate, I hate that we don't because... Like I said, I think people should know, you know, I love history. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and when you live through the history, it, you know, it's, oh, when I was young, you know, we used to have to walk to school uphill both directions, you know, within the snow all year long. But it's nice to know where you came from. And so, and it makes you appreciate what you got now, I think is a big deal. That's true. That's true. Well, you know, Windows 95, I bought it, I installed it, and I was like, okay, what do I do now? I mean, because it wasn't <laughs> yeah. a game. It did have pinball right. on it. Oh, but, and Solitaire. And then Solitaire. But you had Solitaire on, um, on Windows 3.1, too. So. I did. I did. So, I mean, I was like, okay. I mean, I shouldn't have gotten as excited for this as I did. <laughs> Although, I will say, it was, it was really nice to know that when I named my files... And this is one thing people may not remember. Oh, yes. You used to have Eight, to name three. your files files with eight characters, dot, and then three for the extension. So right. a notepad file you typed up could be called, if you're if you're lucky, English.txt. Right. But, I mean, which English class file was that? It was ridiculous. So now when you had Windows 95, you had the ability to go ahead and type up, I think, up to 32 characters at the time. What's funny is if you went into DOS and you looked at the name of those files. Right, they had to um, you truncate know, it. Truncate it down yeah, now to the, 8.3. The, the 8.3 would be six characters. What have you started with? A tilde and a number one. Right, and then so try if, to read that. Yeah, so then if there was another file that had the first same six characters, it would be tilde and two. And right. And tilde and three for the next one. And a tilde is just a little squiggly character. <laughs> it's, the, it's the one in the... The one to the left of the number one key. Yeah. Yeah, it's on your, on your keyboard there. But um, Windows 95 had multiple versions. I had the original version, and I, I didn't know it at the time, but it wasn't until I started doing consulting and I was taking your classes. One of the guys I worked with lived by the original Windows 95. Because as you mentioned, they did bring out different versions. They called them OSR, and then yeah. 1, 2, 3, 4. So there was actually Windows 95, A, B, and C. And... He absolutely loved the original Windows 95 because Internet Explorer didn't come installed with that. You had to buy the Microsoft Plus, which when you paid for Microsoft Plus, it came with kind of like desktop themes. Like you said, the X-Files desktop theme and stuff like that. And it came with Internet Explorer. So he always said, I love the original Windows 95 because it didn't have the bloated software that was Internet Explorer. Yeah, I mean... You know, there was a whole thing about browser wars back then. You know, Mosaic was the original browser that came out, and, mm-hmm. and it ended up being, it, it kind of morphed into Netscape. And 
you know, you, you had to buy that. Mm-hmm. And you had to buy a browser. You know, think of that, people. You had to pay for a browser, you know. Well, they had, they had said they would allow consumers to use Netscape for free, but they yes. expected their business customers to, to, to actually pay for a licensed copy. Right. And so um, then, for some reason, Microsoft decided that they were going to take all the browser business. And so they were. They came out with the Internet Explorer, and they embedded it into the operating system. Mm-hmm. And and so, if why would you buy Netscape when you when it came on the operating system with Internet Explorer? A little bit of history again. Microsoft got in trouble for that, and so there was there for a while. It looked like they were going to be broken up into two companies. I mean, mm-hmm. this this whole monopoly thing. It was came. around 2000, the antitrust lawsuit. Yeah. And so, they. It, it, I mean, it really looked like this was going to happen. They were going to be broken into um, operating systems and applications. And for those of you who don't know what that is, that's what an app is now, is was an application. And so, you know, Office and, and that kind of stuff was was going to be one side of the house and, and operating systems was going to be the other. And they, you know, the two will not, you know, be buddy-buddy anymore. They would be separate companies, basically. So, Well, because um, when Windows 95 came out in August of 95, you had to buy Plus to get yes. you had to buy Microsoft Plus to actually get Internet Explorer. Mm-hmm. The following year, because I, I had looked it up here ahead of time, yeah. I remember them saying it was the Pearl Harbor uh, announcement. It was December 6th, 1996. They had a thing at Microsoft where Bill Gates, he quoted uh, Admiral, I think the guy's name was Yamimoto, saying that they, they had... Waking the sleeping giant? Yes, he actually quoted that because at that point... That's when, with the Windows 95A, they started putting Internet Explorer into the operating system for free, yeah. which really ate into Netscape, Netscape's product, because suddenly, any computer, business or otherwise, that shipped with Windows... Was going to have that on there. Free, Yeah, free product. Yeah, and so that made it hard for them to compete. So, yeah, Windows 95A actually did ship with Internet Explorer 2.0 at the time. Later, Windows 95B. Windows 95B actually introduced the ability for FAT32, which oh, that's, yes. that's hard for us to think now, but it was the idea that if you had over a 2-gig hard drive, man, 2 gigs, yeah. if you had bigger than a 2-gig hard drive, original FAT16 formatting was not efficient in actually laying out and, and sectoring all those different areas of the hard disk, so FAT32 allowed for bigger hard drives uh, the idea was up to 32 gigs at that yeah. point. And so, and you know, now everybody's used to FAT32 or NTFS, mm-hmm. you know, um, and now we've got XFAT, you know, for, for larger um, and still to have it be kind of portable because you don't have, um, you don't have to worry about the permissions that are embedded into yeah. NTFS, you know, if you want to carry something around from machine to machine. Well, that's the biggest problem that I personally have because I keep my USB drives formatted as FAT32. Yeah. Mainly because when I bring them home, I've got Macs here. And mm-hmm. by default, unless I buy a special driver, it doesn't play well with NTFS. Sure. But the biggest file you could put on uh, FAT32 was 4 gigs. And that used to sound like a lot. But, yeah. But I can download the ISO for Windows Server 2012 to install, and it's well over 4 gigs. Right. And so suddenly things are not going well for me. So, yeah, XFAT is very, very useful now. Yeah. Believe it or not, I mean, um, when they came out with NTFS, which actually stands for NT File System, mm-hmm. um, we... It, we were used to, let's say you, you had a problem, 
you know, with uh, the hard drive or something like that, it, it was not wanting to boot. And you wanted to still be able to access it to get to your data, for example. Um, you would boot up with a DOS boot disk or whatever, you know, and you because could Because that was still the underlying operating yeah, system. Yeah, so, and you get to all your stuff. But if your hard drive was formatted with NTFS, which, you know, what they were pushing with NT, which stands for new technology, um, they, and when they came out with it, I remember this, you know, vividly, they said, hey, this NTFS thing is so good that you don't even have to worry about um, defragging your hard drive. <laughs> yeah. Because the, the operating system is totally going to take care of that. And so we don't even have defrag built in anymore. You just don't need that. <laughs> and very shortly, you know, everybody found out that wasn't the case. You did still need to defrag the hard drive or whatever for, you know, they, for it to be efficient. They pulled it out of Windows 2000. I remember having to buy Disk Keeper yeah. uh, to be able to run on 2000, which was a defragging product, and they quickly put it back in on XP. Yes, but um, we we were very, um, as networking people, very hesitant, uh, hesitant to, to format a drive with NTFS because you couldn't boot up there was mm -hmm. no there was no ntfs boot disk mm -hmm. especially from from microsoft that later on came out with some tools that would let you get there but um and so you know what we would end up doing is we would format the the we would do two partitions one would be the operating system and we would format that with fat 32 and then we could you know format the the you know data side if you wanted to with ntfs or something because you couldn't repair the operating system part you know mm -hmm. you couldn't get it to boot uh, because you couldn't get to it with with a boot disk or whatever and so st stuff like that that you think about you, you'd never even curse to you now was really aggravating and and caused you know problematic things well i know years later there. it was it was crazy when people came out with ntfs dos yes NTFS DOS, I remember that. Which was kind of these days, that was kind of like a Hiren's boot disk type thing because it allowed a security person to get into that hard drive again. Right, to, to boot up and, mm -hmm. and, and get into it because if you if you wanted to put in another drive, you actually had to configure a file to point to that drive so it, you know, it would boot from that if that's mm -hmm. what you wanted. And so, um, yeah, it was, man, that, that, that kind of stuff kept us very, very busy in the old days you made money from it but it could be really unnerving to not be able to get to the thing and fix it you know when, right when you needed to well i know there was actually a release c or you know windows 95 c and i honestly never saw it and never knew about it and i think the reason why is because it was released november of 97 and then and 98 so, came out yeah, Windows 98 came out the following uh, summer in June. So I wasn't buying a copy of Windows 95 and 97. By that time, I was waiting for Windows 98. Right. But when, when C came out, it's really cool because it was the first version here of 95 that actually supported USB. That was yeah. one of the big, big selling points of 98, that you had the USB support, which at that point was, was you know, revolutionary. And now we truly were going to have plug and play. Oh, yeah. Um, and that type of thing was going to work. If you haven't seen, there's a video on YouTube. Intel had um, a series of commercials that they, they brought out. And, and they're not very old. They, they've got a guy walking along and, you know, he's walking through the office or whatever. And all these people, the women are swooning over him and everything. And he's walking along and... He, you know, he, he looks like your typical IT, you know, geeky type person. And it says, our rock stars are better than your rock stars. And then this guy was the inventor or one of the inventors of USB. And I, so. I do remember that. And, yeah, and it's an Intel just, commercial. 
and that just was that aired i would say six years ago or so because he's he's walking down the hall and he's like you know yeah, flat, pointing, everybody like, pointing yeah. fingers like hey yeah. baby stop and, and they were yeah. all just swooning over him right yeah and then like i said his name you know and yeah then, it may not even be six years old it might be newer than that uh, but they they've had some really good commercials lately um with that kind of stuff to to highlight their technology and and the fact that they invented those kind of things. So I mean, Windows ninety five, I installed it and I was like, wow, this was kind of anticlimactic. But we did get some <laughs> yeah. cool stuff from it. I mean, we got the start menu, which which kind of made things less cluttered. It put it in all one area for us for the most part. We the recycle bin. Oh yeah, I remember having to have um had this Norton Utilities disc. And by the way, I just want to go back and say to people. When you're like, how did they survive on 20 meg hard drives back when you were talking about using double space? Oh, yeah. Back then, like I had I had a word processing program called uh, First Choice, and you put the floppy disk in and you ran it from the disk, so you didn't have to save that to your hard drive at all. Right. And then when it would ask, where do you want to save the file, you would pull out that disk and put in your the data disk. The data disk. Yeah, you wanted to save it on. That's how we got away with only having 20 megs. We might install an operating system, but our games, like the Chuck Yeager flight simulator that uh, oh, wow. Ryan and I were talking about, that was a single floppy disk. When you yeah. played King's Quest, it was six disks, and they would tell you when to put the next disk in. Like you're playing PlayStation 1, Final Fantasy 7, and there's the four disks, and it says insert disk 2. So we weren't having to save much on our hard drives at that point back in the good old 311 workgroup days. Oh, my gosh. And think about now with the Xbox mm-hmm. and and. You, you to pull down the games now you know they don't come they're too big to come on any kind of you know portable media kind of a thing you're pulling down 40 gig or, or whatever for right. you know or well i mean you can still go out and buy them like see me like if you look over yeah. there i've got a boatload of games i buy my ps4 games i don't buy the digital downloads because i'm still one of those rightfully so um aluminum tinfoil hat wearing people because oh, yeah because I don't own, I don't feel I own that digital copy. It's and, on a hard drive, and if I can't download it later on, do I own it anymore? Actually, you don't even really own it, even if you have the disc. But technically, yeah. yeah. And I mean, um, I, this really came out when uh, I'm not. I don't remember exactly how long ago this was, but someone had passed away, and they had had. Um, oh, they, yeah. they thought they had the entire Beatles catalog. And they were accessing it, I think, through iTunes. And so when the person passed away, wanted to leave his, you know, Apple catalog to one of his descendants, his kids or whatever, they went and they said, yeah, you know, we need to get to this. My dad left it to me. And they said, sorry, you know, you you don't own that. He didn't own that. And so oh. he can't leave it to you. Well, the, that's, maybe that was a different story. The story I heard was that somebody they owned an ipod a newer ipod like uh you know like one of the touches not like Uh the old-fashioned ipods one that actually had an apple id attached to it Uh and so they left the ipod to the kid or whatever but they hadn't given them the apple id's password oh and so they called apple and said yeah you know my dad left me this it's in the will i need the password and apple said no we won't. We won't give it to you. Well, that that might be the same case. Right. I'm, I'm not sure um, because because they said even though it was in a will, they're like, you know, we we have very strict guidelines on information we will give out, and we do not give passwords out. So yeah. I mean, that was a that was a bum rap for that person. But um, I, I'm kind yeah. of the same way as you are. I mean, I I buy CDs with the music on there, mm-hmm. and so um, over the years I've bought 
I don't know how many CDs, music CDs for my kids too, mm-hmm. uh, for for gifts. And but I've I've always bought them through Amazon because there was no digital rights management like the, you run into that exact case that you're talking about there. Sure. Um, to to transfer it from one device to another or whatever. And so then all of a sudden one day uh, I logged on to Amazon for something and it said, oh, by the way. All of you know the music that you've purchased is now you know available digitally as MP3s, and so I was really pleasantly surprised about that. But and so again, I can get to it you know through the cloud. Right. But um, still, I purchased DVDs too because what happens when you can't get to the cloud or whatever? Mm-hmm. And I remember you know again, I don't know how long ago this was, but. Disney had decided that they, you know, they're, they're always talking about buy it now before it goes back into the vault mm-hmm. or whatever. People had purchased, you know, like through Amazon or whatever, access to a DVD or, or to to a movie. And um, it was some of these Disney movies and Disney just pulled them one day and said, you know, they're going back into the vault and your access to them went away. And so supposedly you thought, well, I have access to this forever, but apparently not. And so what happens um, on Netflix when and their content comes up and goes down a lot of times, you know, because there will be a contract dispute or something. And all of a sudden that particular TV series goes away. And I'm I'm okay with that because, you know, I'm renting that. Yeah, you're right. I know I'm not owning that. Right. But you still can't get to it anymore. Sure. So, but I mean, for the for the people out there who are like, that's never affected me. Something you may not have heard about, Scott. There was a really famous guy who's made the series called Metal Gear. Metal Gear game series was on Nintendo and the yeah, Metal, like Metal Gear, Gear Solid. Solid. Metal Gear yeah. Solid, yeah. Uh, I think his name was Hideo Kojima. And so Kojima started making this game for Konami, which was the company he made all the money for. And it was called PT. And it was a it was supposed to be a demo for this new Silent Hill game, which I know you're not a gamer, but you may have at least seen the movie. I mean, I... I was a gamer, I guess, right. if, if you want to say well, that. Yes, but, yeah. of Doom. Well, that, I'm just saying console. No, new, newer than that, too. I, yeah. I have um, I have an Xbox, an uh, original Xbox, and an Xbox 360. So so you, um, you might have even played like Silent Hill 2, maybe. Yeah, not that one, but right. yeah. I, so um, it's not that I'm not a gamer. It's just right. that, you know, like, I, I certainly didn't want the... Um, the Xbox snooping on me and right, you know, <laughs> so, so, so you didn't buy the uh, the Connect, the Xbox One with the forced purchase of the Connect. Yeah, yes. no, I did, I did not do that. But my brother, the blood sucking lawyer, did. So. Oh. Well, see, they, he made this game called PT, which was a demo for Silent Hill, and they put it out there, and you could download the demo for free. And of course, it was a demo, so there was no physical disc, and so people downloaded it, they played it. At one point, apparently, he parted ways with Konami. They didn't. Things didn't go so well. Like, there's a new version. Uh, Metal Gear Solid Five is about ready to come out. That's his last game he did, and apparently, it didn't go so well. So Konami had actually said online, "We're gonna pull down PT. Like, you you can no longer get it after this date." And they said, "You're no longer gonna be able to get it after this date." What they didn't say, or they didn't word it that way for people, they just thought, "Oh, you better." You better log in and claim the ability to download it by such and such date. Right. They didn't realize it was not going to be accessible. Yeah. They pulled it down. Right. And so people were like, wow, if I don't have it on my hard drive, I don't have it anymore. Right. So now when I buy a PlayStation 4 game, it doesn't matter that I have a physical media. I might as well put it in and go to sleep because it usually installs 20 to 30 gigs of data 
onto the drive. Yes. Because it needs to access it really fast because the high definition stuff. So, so I really mean, when you're buying the disc now, like you're talking about, you're still not buying the actual um, installation media because it still has to go out and pull all that down. Really? Well, That's I mean, you're talking about, I mean, basically what I'm, what I'm buying is installation media. There was a time like on your Xbox 360, you put the disc in and it actually played the game from the disc. Now I'm buying a glorified USB drive that I stick in and it copies all the crap onto the, onto the system and plays it from the system. Well, I just know one day we looked up because, you know, when the, um, the, the new Xbox came out, um, the Xbox One. Yes. Right. The X-Bone, as they, as they nicknamed it. Well, and so I had read about, you know, how much a download, like, you know, when you started, you got ready to play, you know, the, whatever it was at the time, mm-hmm. um, you, you would have to connect and all this, you'd have to have this huge download. So we, we looked it up online and, and they had, you know, like... Um, a table that showed the, the amount of data that you had to download for all these different games, you know, and sure. it was 36 gig, 40 gig or whatever. And I was mm-hmm. just like, oh, my gosh, you know, how do you back stuff up anymore? You know what I mean? Right. Think, think about that. What kind of media is going to hold big, huge files like that? And it turns out, you know, another external hard drive or something like that is what you need. But right. Anyway. And they don't they don't make those systems built. I mean, it's not super easy to do that either. No, no. But I'm even thinking you know, about businesses. You know, when you, when you've got say a mom and pop deal, mm-hmm. you know, and they they got a little small network there, you know, or um, a work group or whatever that you're doing. Used to be you'd get a tape drive, mm-hmm. you know, and you'd have them do a backup overnight or whatever, and everything it would be you know nice. But anymore, tape drives they're not big enough, really. Right. So. Um, well, these days, you can actually do Microsoft Azure if you want. That would yes. be cloud-based backup, though. Um, and, so, and, and for those of you that don't really know me or whatever, I mean, I, I, I am not a big fan of the cloud. And um, because, yeah, I'm old. Um, I've been in IT forever, it seems like, you know, for, for me and everybody else, I'm sure. But my when I look at something like that, I think, what can go wrong? It's the first thing that pops into my head. What can go wrong with this or whatever? And so... When you can't get to the cloud, what happens? That, that's that's my thing. You know, if you're using Carbonite or something like that mm-hmm. to to back up your stuff, what happens if you can't get on the net? Mm-hmm. Um, th- that's the big deal for me. And so, plus, also like to know that you know who has access to my data. Um, that, that that would be my bigger concern. Yeah, and and there's all these breaches now. You know, I'm I'm a really security conscious person. I got hacked big time um, by apparently some folks in Asia, and so I I, I do not uh, I I do not want my data places. And it's not like I have anything to hide either. It's just that I I don't like to. To put it out there, I don't, you know, who who has access to my family pictures, it, it, stuff like that. I, I guess I would almost equate it to the fact that when you're driving the car, when you're driving a car, you're in control. And when you're not driving a vehicle, you're not in control. You like to be in control of your data. You know, sure. if, if you lose your data and you were the one that had it, you're like, well, you know, that's that's on me. That was my fault, yeah. But when you don't know when someone else has it, that can be a big issue. Well, look what happened with the, the, the stars who put up their, you know, naked pictures or whatever, and all of a sudden... On iCloud know, for Apple, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and all of a sudden, they're out there, you know. Yeah. Um, and nowadays, 
every time you turn around, there's a data breach. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, so, just recently, there was the data breach of Ashley Madison. Oh, yes. And uh, and uh, the 18 and counting Josh Duggar, who was married, was like, um... Yeah, 19 kids and counting. Or 19. Yeah, yeah and up to 19 now. But yeah, he had to... Right. Kind of, kind Come, of a, yeah, oh, gosh. And, and it, before that had happened, it had even there had been a lawsuit um, and, and or something something had come out about underage. You know, it's, yeah, it's terrible. I think he was. This, um, I think he's the same person. I think he was. The, yeah, yeah, it is the, the same possible person. Molest, molestation charges as well as infidelity now. Right, right. And so, I've said this for years, and my students would laugh at me, and they'd say, "You're, you're, you know, big conspiracy theorist," and I'd say, "Yeah, it, it doesn't matter if it's true." And so all, all this time I've been saying, like, you know, the NSA is listening to everybody's phone calls. No, mm-hmm. they're not. Yes, they are. No, they're not. And so uh, I remember when Edward Snowden came out, it was it was in the summer and I was not teaching at the time. I was like, oh, man, I wish I was in class right now. So right. I could say, see, I told you guys, but um, you're, you're not anonymous. And what right. you do out there is not anonymous. And, and so you need to think about that. Everything that you could do out there it can be watched and can be archived or whatever. And so. You know, don't do anything that you don't want to become public, I guess, is the thing. Or don't do anything and put it on Facebook that you wouldn't want an employer possibly being able to see later. Which, you know, of course, I, I will not get on social media. So, right. you know, if, if you're looking for me, I'm not on Facebook. And So and, many of us were lucky that our pasts were not put on Facebook oh, yeah. so we can still have jobs. Right. But, uh, you know, the last thing, last thing I'll mention about that particular point of, of the cloud service is the fact that there was a person when I was finishing my graduate degree, she was getting ready to do her capstone. And what she was doing hers on was the idea, not so much that someone else owns your data, but it was the fact that where was your data being stored right. geographically? Because she had mentioned in class, and like this was not something that entered the, my realm of possibility, but she was talking about companies, for example, like um, porn websites. Uh-huh. Like Pornhub and stuff, there are lawsuits that are taking place, especially from Texas with those websites, because they say this person in Texas is—it's illegal for them to, to to build a view. This particular lewd act, we view this yes. an illegal act for them to view. So we don't care where your website's located. The viewing the, is occurring in Texas. The viewing is occurring in Texas, and so we are suing your company because you cannot prevent our people from from doing that. Right. And so she was bringing up the fact. I mean, that's not something I thought about, but that's at least one segment of the population where your data being in a particular state or geographic region or being able to be accessed by certain people could be breaking the law. Right. And especially under the federal government, they they don't do cloud computing because they want to make sure they know where their data is located. If it's overseas someplace, some Chinese hacker could be breaking in or heck it could be hosted by a Chinese company who's like, let's see what's in this. Right. So you don't not only have to worry about the espionage aspect, but you may have to worry about are you breaking laws based on where that data is being housed and you're none the wiser because the company you're hosting it with isn't telling you it's in Texas or here or there. Exactly. Where geographically are these things? You know, they're, they're in a data center somewhere. And the question is, is that company making sure that they're, they're following the laws of every... Yeah, they're lawfully yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just a big can of worms. I, I mean, I remember several years back, you know, we, we have ISPs, Internet Service Providers, and that's how we get on the Internet. But um, at the time, and, you know, this was, there. you know, nobody was talking about the cloud or anything at the time. And by the way, the cloud's been around forever. That's mainframe computing, if you want to think of it that way. Mm-hmm. But um, 
there there was a trend at the time and i guess they were just ahead of their time because you know the access wasn't stable for the internet really at the time but they were called application service providers and what they wanted to do was come in basically have let you have a thin client you know basically just boot up and access everything your desktop and everything applications Mm -hmm. and all that over the internet and so it was a great idea if you know if everything was working but if you put your entire company on this you know idea of an application service provider and you got 500 users all of a sudden one router goes down and now nobody can get on the internet and nobody can work at all because they have no desktop and so you just you know you got to think about when everything's not working perfectly what's going to happen if you ever had to walk in and 500 people were looking at you and saying you know i can't work when's the network coming back up (laughs) and i've been there it's a very lonely um it's a very lonely place to be and so that's i guess why i've come to that kind of point of view i look at something i say how can that go wrong right off the bat and i know it's pessimistic but you know i've, I've been there and and i don't like being there I, I like everything running but when people are down and they're looking at you you get that idea of right. you know, how, how can this go wrong well i know a lot of companies do that now for security like um, chris felix i interviewed his company actually does all the desktops but at least they're local and i've, I've had sure. friends um I've had friends around the tri-state who actually work for companies that do the the medical billing. Like if yeah. the doctor's office does not want to have to jump through the hoops and worry about HIPAA compliance, right. they can pay those companies to do it. And they do everything via the internet, via like a remote desktop connection. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess I just can't do billing today because I can't reach the server is, is how it has to happen. Well, well, we can't pull up your medical records. Can you imagine? You right. know, think about that. I know my doctor was really aggravated because he was trying to order some of my lab reports mm-hmm. from um, from a hospital, and they weren't they weren't on the ball, and so he was not able to get them, and and he was very aggravated by that more than I was even really, and so right. I think we're we're starting to take all of this stuff for granted in a way, and um, there is so much hacking going on that um, and, and so many data breaches and things like that that. You know, you can't necessarily count on the services to be there all the time. That's true. And, and you know. And even if the services are there, who are they serving? Yeah. Are there Chinese hackers that are looking at your stuff? Yeah. So, so I mean, we kind of degenerated into a security thing here. but Yeah, but sometime you're going to have to come back so we can talk more about security because I know there's a topic in my head, dark hotels, that I want to talk oh, yeah, to you gosh. about. Oh, yeah, gosh. Yeah. Because so. I think I'd talk to you about that originally. And, oh, yeah. Um, It's scary. It's really yes. scary. All, all the stuff that's going on. So. Yeah. So, to go back and summarize, Windows 95, <laughs> yeah. Windows 95 with all of its versions and 98 and so forth, we got more secure, and, and now, pretty soon, I'm sure we'll have a Microsoft Thin client, and they'll want, they'll want our entire hard drive to be in the cloud. Well, haven't they said that um, Windows 10 is like the last real version of Windows? I have heard that. Yeah, they were um, the actual and, desktop. And we were out at the mothership not that long ago. They mm-hmm. didn't, you know, we didn't really even think to ask about that kind of stuff. Right. Because um, I remember thinking... Before we went out there, and I forgot to ask while we were there, are you guys really going to give away Windows 10? You know, we didn't know at the mm-hmm. time, and and I did want to ask, but we were just so in awe of all the stuff that we were looking at and everything. So, uh, and, and there we were troubleshooting gaming code and all that stuff. I mean, it was it was, it was a blast. But I remember when I got back, I was like, oh, I meant to ask them, are they really going to give Windows away? You know, not that they necessarily would have told us at the time. I don't know, but right. Um, Anyhow, yeah, I've heard that it's supposed to be the last real version of Windows. So what what comes next? I um, guess we'll see. 
Yeah, we'll see. Always yeah. something new. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining me to talk about Windows 95 and, and, and how, how the systems used to be so people can appreciate how the systems are today, Scott. Yes, no problem. Well, that's going to do it this week for Talk on Tech. I'm Patrick Smith. Have a great week. 